Happy Friday the 13th, everybody. It's Josh here with you with Get Your Goat. A lot to get into today. More preseason football upon us. We had the Patriots play and we got a good look in Mac Jones last night. What do I think of him? Dwayne Haskins, another good performance in a preseason game. Could this be a real turnaround for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Dak Prescott getting an MRI. Jimmy G versus Trey Lance. I'm going to give you my top five NFL defenses. The Field of Dreams game last night was amazing. And then I'm going to give you my top five MLB teams. So a lot to get into today. Starting with last night's preseason games. The first being the Washington football team and the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots, to me, looked a lot better than the football team. Highlight plays by Ramondre Stevenson, who had 10 rushes for 127 yards, two touchdowns. One of those was a 91-yard score uh, with just over a minute left to ice this game. Great runs by him. Cam Newton, I thought, played all right, but I thought Mac Jones played even better. Mac Jones had a really solid debut under Coach Bill Belichick, and to me, there's been reports that he's coming along really well, is coming for this job. It looked like it when he got drafted by the Patriots that he wanted to be this team, the face of this franchise. And to me, you know who he reminds me of, Mac Jones? If you're an Office fan, he reminds me of Andy Bernard. Why do I say that? Andy, you know, graduated from Cornell, loved his college, uh, talked about it more than anybody else on the show of kind of their backstory and where they're from and... He kind of fit into the place where he was Scranton, then he got merged with the Dunder Mifflin branch, where he then was vying for the number three role uh, to Michael, wanted to do everything right, and eventually got that number three role and was the regional manager at one point. This reminds me of Mac Jones. The parallels coming out of Alabama is this happy kid that, you know, is kissing up to Bill Belichick to get the role. Knows he is not guaranteed his spot like Andy wasn't, so he works super super hard, kisses up to him, comes along, and in the end, turns out to be all right. And I think that's going to be Mac Jones' story. To me, the Andy-Bernard parallel will always work with Mac Jones if Mac Jones turns out to be a decent quarterback. Could he have a temper tantrum? Punch a hole in a wall like Andy did. Sure, he could. I could see him doing that. When he got drafted, I was a little weary of how fast he was walking down there. But I think he's going to turn out to be a great quarterback. I always thought this would be a great fit for the Patriots and for Bill Belichick. Have a great, accurate arm there. At quarterback would be nice, and he got him. So we're going to see how he progresses. Yes, this is one preseason game, so I'm not going to 
blow this out of proportion or make a huge deal about it, but I think for an NFL debut anytime, this was really solid for Mac Jones. Then the other game was the Steelers and Eagles, and I thought the Eagles started off really strong. Joe Flacco looking like vintage Joe Flacco in a preseason game, I thought, wow, this is something else. Had a 13-0 lead and a 16-3 lead going into halftime, and I thought, you know, Eagles are looking good. Joe Flacco's looking good. Totally forgot about him, but I'm like, that's true quarterback competition for Jalen Hurts. You know, another highlight reel uh, catch to Quez Watkins, a 79-yard touchdown. But then Dwayne Haskins turned it on, led the comeback in the second half with 16 of 22, 161 yards, and a touchdown. Made really good throws. Uh, the throws, you know, we saw come out of him at Ohio State that we, you know, saw glimpses of with the Washington football team, but haven't really seen yet uh, in the later start of his career with the football team when he was released uh, due to his off-the-field issues. Now it looks like he's coming back. He's being mentored by Ben Roethlisberger, great coach in Mike Tomlin, and his quarterback coach as well. And I think this is just a great system for him. Knowing he won't be the starter at all, that's Ben's job, but knowing, hey, I can beat out Mason Rudolph, who is the backup on the third string. I can beat him out and see what happens uh, when Big Ben is done. So I think that's great for him. Now, there are preseason games on tonight, three of them. The first one on is the Tennessee Titans and the Atlanta Falcons. I wish this was a regular season game. Julio Jones going up against his former team. That won't happen tonight. Julio Jones is not playing, but he will be returning there in a Tennessee uniform. I hope he gets treated uh, greatly uh, by the fans there uh, for all he did for his team when he was with Atlanta. Again, I wish this was a regular season game, have the emotions come out of the fans and Julio Uh, But it's not. But otherwise, this will be a lesser return of Julio Jones. And it'll be nice to see uh, Kyle Pitts in there and some other players uh, for the Falcons as well. And then for the Tennessee Titans, uh, who knows what to expect. This kind of reshifted defense. uh, See how they look. So there are things I want to see from them. The next game is the Buffalo Bills and the Detroit Lions. Buffalo Bills won't be starting uh, much. I don't believe Zach Moss will be starting Stephon Diggs. I'd be shocked if Josh Allen plays at least in this first game. And then the Lions, it doesn't look like TJ Hawkinson will be playing. Uh, Which other than Hawkinson, you know, who knows what's out there. I mean, they're all a bunch of backup players to me anyways. None of them are true bona fide starters in this league other than that offensive line and you know, fringe Jared Goff, so, you know, they might as well just start anybody and everybody, because I'm sure everybody is going to have shared snaps of this season, and I'm sure, you know, the Bills backups that play tonight, if Detroit were to start their starters, I'm sure the Bills would beat the Lions, or it would be a close game, which is sad, but that's how pitiful the Lions are. They really are not 
a good football team. I don't expect from much in this preseason game, in the regular season at all. This, I think, will be a very poor performance by the Detroit Lions, even though I will be say it will be interesting to see Dan Campbell be on the sideline in a preseason-type matchup like this against another team and kind of see his on-the-field mannerisms and see how he re- reacts to certain plays, refs, officiating. That's one thing I'm looking out for. And then the final game is the Cowboys and the Cardinals. Again, you won't be seeing Dak Prescott, who I'll be getting into in a second because of his uh, shoulder injury. I'm sure you won't see other players. You might see uh, Michael Gallup or Amari Cooper uh, just because it is their second preseason game. You only have three, so you kind of want to get a couple series in there. Arizona Cardinals, who knows who we'll see. They have some players out with COVID, Andy Isabella, James Conner, Lakai Fotu, so it'll be interesting to see who plays in this game uh, for Arizona. I really wanted to see James Conner. I want to see this running game. I want to see A.J. Green. I want to see this defense, but of course, J.J. Watt and his hamstring injury, you will not. How will this Dallas Cowboys defense be? They were very poor last year. How will Micah Parsons again adjust playing? He played very well against the Steelers a week ago. Will he keep that same energy up in Glendale uh, tonight? But still speaking about the Cowboys, Dak Prescott is getting another MRI on his shoulder. It was meant to not be serious, this shoulder injury ailing, but it looks like it's a little bit more than something you can just brush aside it looks a little serious and to me to me this is a big deal because it is his I believe it is his throwing shoulder and to me that has huge problems because he just signed this huge contract in the offseason with all this guaranteed money he wanted to be the man and now this happens He just got off a big foot injury where his ankle snapped in half. He was supposed to come back, and now it's a shoulder. I mean, how do you go from an ankle injury to where you should be resting all the time to a shoulder injury? Isn't he the one on the sleep number commercials? The one saying, oh, this sleep number does wonders for me. It makes such a difference. I don't know what kind of sleep number bed uh, you got, Dak Prescott. I don't know if you need to return it, take it back, manufacture a warranty or something. But if you got that nice sleep number bed, you know, I don't know why uh, your shoulder is injured. I don't know why you can't throw the football when you've got a nice sleep number bed uh, to go home to. I mean, other than that, you know, what else... Were you doing on crutches when you were on crutches for too long? Was that shoulder hurting a little bit? It Was it just too much for the crutch? Was it the bed? Is it driving? I mean, what is it, Dak? Because, or is it this? Or is it just bad karma on a season of hard knocks, which you and your team don't deserve to be on? You didn't deserve that contract at all, because you haven't proved that you can lead this team to the promised land, 
winning this division to me doesn't signify anything because of how weak this division is. So that doesn't mean much. If you were to win, you know, the NFC South last year or with Drew Brees and Tom Brady or a division with uh, Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers, that would signify something. But winning a division with the football team who didn't even have a quarterback uh, outside of Alex Smith who didn't even play the whole year, Daniel Jones with the New York Giants, and the trio of junk in Philadelphia, Jalen Hurts, Carson Wentz, and Nate Sudfeld. I mean, my goodness, those are names I shake in my boots and go, ooh, those are the real deal right there. No, you should beat those guys, Dak. And I'd be worried if you can, and you actually haven't been able to beat some of them in the past when you had that 8-8 eight and eight season. So, yes, I'm worried for you, your injury, and all what this could bring to the Dallas Cowboys. But I'm fine because I'm not a Cowboys fan. Don't like the Cowboys. Uh, I don't wish anybody you know, ill health or anything like that. But seeing the Cowboys not make the playoffs is something that would bring a smile to my face. And then, on the other hand, you could do what the Rams are doing and Sean McVay, and that is to rest all starters for the preseason game, fourth consecutive season. McVay will not be playing his starting quarterback. This year will be Matthew Stafford. Won't be playing Aaron Donald, uh, Jalen Ramsey. McVay says he also won't be playing uh, some of the other key rotational players as well. You know, he says there's going to be 35 players that aren't going to be playing, have any playing time. So the goal is to get those guys playing time here and evaluate the roster some more, which is, you know, I agree with. But at the same time, I don't know why the Los Angeles Rams are then, you know, selling tickets at all when... You're not going to go and see anybody. Why would I pay, you know, hundreds of dollars to go see a preseason game where nobody is going to play? I mean, why would I pay 400 or, yeah, $300 to be in a nice section right there in the front to see nobody? That just makes no sense. It doesn't. It bottles my mind. It does. But the Rams can do what they got to do. Then, another key offseason story was Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance. Preseason opener tomorrow against the Kansas City Chiefs. Kyle Shanahan says Garoppolo is going to start. He is the starter. But Trey Lance is going to take the reins after he starts. And then they have fellow backups, Nate Sudfeld and Josh Rosen. This is exciting. I want to see how Trey Lance performs, especially if he has the keys to some of the first-team offense. Uh, You know, George Kittle and good offensive line. I want to see how Trey Lance looks in there compared to Jimmy Garoppolo. That's a huge storyline because if Trey Lance looks really good, I think we can see them move on from Jimmy G sometime 
this season. I would like it. I would like to see Trey Lance do well and maybe have Jimmy G go to a sleeper like the Washington football team who are going to contend with that great defense and then also need a quarterback. So that will be very interesting and exciting to see uh, Trey Lance. Now, I'm going to give you my top five NFL defenses. Just to recap, I have given you everything ranked so far. My top ten quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, players, defensive linemen, linebackers, safeties, top five you know, rushing duos, wide receiver core, offense. Now it's time for the top five NFL defenses. These are the defenses you have on your team. You are happy that you have these defenses. This is what half of your team needs uh, to win games. Defense wins championships. Does your team have a top five championship caliber defense? Now, before I get into this, there was a couple defenses I was on the fence about, but I just couldn't do it. One was the Baltimore Ravens. You know, they lost Matthew uh, Judon, they drafted well and got Justin Houston, but I don't know how good Justin Houston will be or Oway as well. So they had to retool a little bit. I also have concerns about Marcus Peters as well. Uh, Patrick Queen, can he uh, take a progressive step? Then the Na- Indianapolis Colts, I'm, they have a really good, a solid defense, especially that front seven with Darius Leonard, who's the highest paid linebacker. The fourth Buckner, but it is that secondary. Can they contain and not give up big plays? That's what I had. But these are my top five defenses. Number five is the Denver Broncos. And you might be saying to me, Josh, the Denver Broncos, seriously, they weren't even in the top, you know, 15 last year. The two teams you just named, the Ravens and Indianapolis, were in the top 10. Denver was way outside of that. They averaged, you know, 368 points allowed for yards a game. Uh, Passing, you know, wasn't good at 237. Uh, Rushing, they let in a ton at 130. They let in 28 points, which was among the league high. What are you thinking, Josh? How are they a number five defense? I'm just saying... I like what I see last year. There were inklings of it. And I think this year it's going to turn into a great defense. And I think what they're doing is going to work. This is a reason why Aaron Rodgers was enticed to come here. Was because of this defense. Now I know this offense is terrible right now. Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. So... You can't look at even last year, Drew Locke, so you can't look at it and say, you know, what are they doing? Because sometimes the offense would turn the ball over and, you know, the points still get counted against the defense and certain things like that for field position. But I'm just talking about the talent that they have. Bryce Callahan is one of the best cornerbacks in the league. He was just outside of my top 10. They signed Kyle Fuller, Ronald Darby. 
Patrick Sertan in the draft. They are loaded at the cornerback position. They are. I mean, they just had Bryce Callahan. They added two through free agency, one through the draft. They could have one of the best collections of cornerbacks this year. Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, one of the top rushing duos, were out last year. Both of them. They are both back. Yes, Von Miller is getting up there. He's kind of the same age as J.J. Watt, but he is still an impact. Bradley Chubb is young and on the opposite side. A coach, you know, that preaches a defense first and defensive mentality. I expect them to be a top five defense this year. I do with the talent that they have, the packages that they can bring. Up there at Mile High Stadium in Denver, where the air is thin and it's much more difficult uh, to play up there and you really have a good home field advantage, which pays dividends for the defense. I like the Broncos and their defense. I think it will be a top five defense sitting there at number five. I like what they are doing. Number four is the Washington football team. Last year, they were great. They had the second-rated defense last year in terms of yards allowed, and they had the uh, fourth-best scoring defense. Washington was good, and I think they'll stay there at four, only allowing around 300 yards a game, 191 passing yards, second-lowest, 112 rushing yards, and 20 points a game. This defense really came in to its own. They have one of the best defensive lines. Monta Sweat, Iadonis, Defensive Rookie of the Year. Chase Young as well. Signed William Jackson, who is a top 10 cornerback in this league. Upgrade over Ronald Darby. Allowed, you know, passes on half of his plays last year. Drafted Jamon Davis. I mean, this front seven is really good. This front four is one of the best front fours in the game. Upgraded the linebacker through the draft, through free agency, the back end. So again, this team is looking to compete in a week in FC East, where they play those teams six times a year. This defense was really good last year. And I think it will only, you know, stay around the same this year. I could see them, you know, putting up those same numbers that they did. But I do think three other defenses are going to be better than them and, you know, better than what they were last year. But I like the Washington football team there at number four. Number three is the Pittsburgh Steelers. They had one of the best defenses last year. Had the third uh, total yard defense, about a yard behind the football team. Was the third best scoring defense, allowing 19 points a game, 111 rushing yards, 194 passing yards. But this Pittsburgh Steelers team has ball players. They get after the quarterback, T.J. Watt is insane. They signed Melvin Ingram. That duo right there 
We just saw Melvin Ingram with Joey Bosa. Now he's with TJ Watt. Devin Bush, who was to me was one of the best linebackers last year before his injury, if he can come back sometime this year and be healthy, that would be huge. What else is going to be big for them? Minka Fitzpatrick is one of the best safeties in the game for that back end. So this defense has key pieces everywhere, impact players uh, to make plays. And I think with what they're doing, knowing this could be Big Ben's last year, but defense we saw last year, I think it's going to take another step forward this year. You know, with the players that have returned, upgraded, I like the Pittsburgh Steelers as one of the best defenses in the game. Now, number two. This is the Los Angeles Rams. And this is no knock against the Los Angeles Rams. This was the number one defense last year in both scoring and total yards. They were dominant. You had Aaron Donald, who could run up, get after the running back, stuff him up, the pass quarterback, get him. You had Jalen Ramsey, who was just shut down last year as well. They only averaged or allowed teams to average 281 total yards on them. They were the only team uh, to allow less than 300 yards a game, 190 passing which was tops, and then 91 rushing yards, which was third. And then 18 points. 18 points, that's not even three touchdowns. That is three touchdowns if you miss three extra points. But, come on. The Los Angeles Rams defense is really, really good. Again, as I said, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey... Then, as I used, might be asking, well, why aren't they number one? And to me, they had key losses. John Johnson, to me, is one of the best safeties. They lost him, and they didn't really replace him. They did some through the draft, but you can't just replace an elite player like John Johnson. They lost some defensive depth as well. Michael Brockers on the defensive line, which hurts that rotation if... You know, players like Aaron Donald or Leonard Floyd get hurt. You know, they lost coaching as well. So I do think this team and this defense will be really good. But compared to how they look last year, I really don't think they can replicate that. Since they didn't add anybody, it was mainly subtractions. So I do think that will play a part in them not repeating as a number one defense. But I still like them at number two and is a top-five defense. Well then, Josh, who's going to pass them up? That is the defending Super Bowl champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who I project to have the second-best offense and the number-one defense, the only team to have top-five in both respective categories. The Tampa Bay defense last year you know, was really underrated was the 6th best defense, total defense, was actually the first in rushing, and then it was in the bottom half for passing. Only allowed 80 yards rushing. Teams took their chances 
passing the ball, only allowed 22 points a game, allowed 327 yards. So teams took their liberty passing the ball on them, and they made you know big plays passing the ball because they had up front. You really couldn't run the ball on Vita Vea, even though he missed most of the time, but they had Nadama Kong Su as well there. You had JPP and Shaq Barrett, but now they're edge rushing. And to me, you just look at what this defense did when it went on that winning streak to close the season on, I think, four straight wins and then win three straight in the playoffs to win the Super Bowl. How good this defense looked. We saw Vita Vea at full force. Shaq Barrett and JPP continually get after the quarterback, this, the defensive backs who got burned early in the season really came into their own. Sean Murphy bunting, uh, Jamel Dean, uh, Antoine Winfield, Whitehead, uh, Carlton Davis. I mean, they all took steps forward, are all very young as well, but now a year older, a championship in development under their belt. I mean, this team... And this defense has so much talent on the backside. They added more through the draft as well to get younger. So this team has the perfect blend of veterans and youth to make a run. To me, they have the depth that Los Angeles Rams boasted last year. Yes, they don't have the big names, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. But collectively as a unit, I would take the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the Los Angeles Rams and any of the defense. I have this Tampa Bay defense being one of the best, you know, in the past 15 years. I think they're going to challenge how good the Rams were last year. Uh, the Seahawks of 13, I think we're going to see them in that sort of category this year. Yes, it'll be easy when you have six games in that easy division as well and kind of the schedule that they have. I think this defense is going to wreak Havoc this year, and we'll see them atop the charts in scoring and total defense. I like what they are doing, and I think they will be getting it done. Now moving on from the NFL. Kawhi Leonard talked about him resigning, but we didn't know what the terms were. For that deal. Yesterday the terms were released for how much he resigned for. That was a four year deal for a max contract, $176.3 million with a player option in that fourth year. So Kawhi Leonard basically is going to play the rest of his career uh, with the Clippers, finish out his prime with the Clippers. And that guarantees him no more championships. That is what Kawhi Leonard has just signed up for. And to me, I saw a Clippers team play so great, so much heart without Kawhi. And then when they play with Kawhi, I don't see that same fire from Paul George. I've never seen Paul George look that good. He Those were vintage OKC and Indian Indianapolis Pacer days. Right there. That was what I saw. With Kawhi, that is not the case at all. And when you look at this Western Conference, you have the Lakers with their team that they just redid. You had Utah, the number one reigning team in the Western Conference. 
in terms of the one seed uh, with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. You have Phoenix, who just made it to the NBA Finals and has the same team to run it back. Denver, who beat the Clippers in the bubble, are now getting back Jamal Murray, who tore his ACL. Dallas puts them to the brink with just Luka. So there is a lot of good teams in the West that are going to contend that I think can beat the Clippers on any given Sunday. And I think will continue to happen. To me, they don't have the role players around. I thought Reggie Jackson played great in the bubble. Uh, Marcus Morris was great last year as well in the regular season. Uh, but Kawhi Leonard signed for four years of another championship. Not happening. I'm hope and I'm glad that he's fine with just two rings, two finals MVPs, and that's it. He ain't winning the third one with the Clippers. The Clippers aren't returning. Actually, they've never been anywhere, so we can't return anywhere. That's how bad the Clippers have been in the history of this organization. And Kawhi is going to go down in flames, up in smoke, with this dumb decision that he made to re-sign this four-year deal. Definitely don't think it was a smart move for him. I thought a one-year deal would be better, but I think... Even this team, they need a true facilitator at point guard. Yes, Paul George played that role, but how will he play it with Kawhi Leonard? To me, these two players don't mesh kind of a way we thought, anticipated, or hoped for You know, when this deal happened a couple years ago. Now moving on to the NHL real quickly. One thing of note is... Joe Thornton, Jumbo Joe, 42 years old, signed a one-year deal with the Florida Panthers. Good for you, Joe Thornton, signed that one-year contract with Florida. I don't think that is a bad contract at all for him to sign. Bet he's going to love the weather in Florida, you know, after playing, you know, most of his career in San Jose, and then he spent... You know, last year with Toronto, now he's going to Florida, try to help him out. Didn't want to return to San Jose because he has a better chance to win in Florida. Even though the road will be tough, we saw Florida improve much last year. And I think Jumbo just wants to keep on playing. Last night, then, for baseball, was the Field of Dreams game and what a game that was the atmosphere was great around you know 8,000 fans in the corn stocks the cornfield the original uh, movie uh, place right there then this stadium that was built for this game was just spectacular the old version scoreboard the clock everything manually the jerseys everything was perfect, and what a game it was. I mean, Heaney, I thought, you know, was never sort of the guy uh, for the Yankees, never a good starting pitcher, and we saw that early. Uh, In his five innings pitch, he let in seven runs, five hits, seven runs, was not good there. First inning, Abreu opened with a homer. Third inning, a three-run homer, or a two-run yeah, three-run homer, and another two-run homer in the fourth inning. So that's what he does. He gives up homer after homer. 
he is not good. But in those same four innings, you know, we saw Judge with a monster three-run home run as well. So at that point, it's 7-3 to three White Sox. Six inning, the relief uh, comes in. Kopech comes in, you know, allows a hit and a runoff. Uh, Brett Gardner and Brett Gardner felt it seven to four out there in right field. Right after that uh, seventh and eighth inning, Wandy Peralta and Jolie Rodriguez shut it down for the Yankees. They don't allow much. Bummer and Kimbrel as well for the White Sox don't allow much, and it looks like. You know, it's 7-4, to four, White Sox, top of the ninth. Uh, what's going to happen? Tyler Wade gets on base, you know, right away. Then uh, DJ does nothing. Gardner does nothing. Two outs. Judge comes up to the plate. I hope he hits a home run, does something, at least gets on base. Uh, you know, then for Joey to crush my dreams. But Judge with another moonshot to center field. Him and Wade scored at 7-6, to six, still two outs. Joey Gallo gets walked. Then Stanton comes up and blasts one straight line drive to left field. It's 8-7 Yankees. Liam Hendricks, one of the best relievers in this game. This year, just allows three hits and four runs. I'm shocked. He's shocked. The White Sox are shocked. I mean, we're all in shock. And then Luke Voigt does nothing. So it's 8-7 to seven Yankees. There's no Chapman. He's on the IL. Who are we going to put in? I thought they should have just kept in Jolie Rodriguez. They put in Zach Burton. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness. This is going to be bad. He has like a 6 ERA, 5.28, something like that. I just rounded it high because he's so bad. Uh, and I'm like, I hope he doesn't blow this. Or at least it's just one run they let in. Gets off to a good start with the uh, out right away. Then he walks to somebody that he should have struck out. And then Anderson, Tim Anderson, hits the game-winning home run on Zach Britton. And what an epic game of fireworks go off. I mean, what a thrilling finish to have. Three runs scored by the Yankees, top of the ninth, and then bottom of the ninth, two scored by the White Sox. I mean, what a game. What a venue. This was just really fantastic to watch. Great game by both teams. You know, the White Sox had it in the bag. Then the Yankees did, but they gifted it right back to the White Sox. So what a game. So with that all in mind, I'm going to give you my top five teams in Major League Baseball. Starting with number five, that is the Chicago White Sox. And to me, maybe they're five or six. You can put them wherever. But maybe after just watching last night's game, that I'm going to put them, you know, at five. Just because of the respect that I had right there. And, you know, they have a fast... And hard-hitting lineup, Tim Anderson, Eloy Jimenez, uh, 
in goal. I mean, this lineup is really good. It's fast. It has a deep bullpen as well. Craig Kimbrell, Liam Hendricks make up for a great kind of shutdown pair there at the end. Number four, the Milwaukee Brewers. Why? Well, they're riding a four-game winning streak, separating themselves uh, from the Cincinnati Reds in this division and trying to lock up the NL Central, playing both good offense and good defense. Number three, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Why? Well, they have the best run differential in baseball, the least amount of runs allowed This team is really coming together. I do have concerns about all the injuries they are facing, if that's going to hold up or who's going to recover in time, all this switching of the lineup. But they are still winning games due to their depth. Number two is the Tampa Bay Rays. Randy Arozarena is going to win Rookie of the Year, uh, but he doesn't even feel like a rookie, didn't qualify last year. I feel like this guy's been around forever and as a veteran, because of the way he plays, how well he plays, how he handles himself, and just powering uh, Tampa Bay to wins over the Boston Red Sox to kind of, you know, take a chokehold on the AL East. And then number one is still the San Francisco Giants. Why? Well, they are on a five-game winning streak. Chris Bryant, since he's been traded to the Giants has been great. His line has been great batting 314 with them. Evan Longoria is coming back there. Great third baseman. That'll probably switch Chris Bryant, but just make this Giants a defensive scheme and shifts even better where you know he might play left field or first base. You'll be able to move him around and use him more, and this will only help the San Francisco Giants more trying to win this NL West and stave off those Dodgers. So those are my top five teams in baseball. The Chicago White Sox, the Milwaukee Brewers, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Tampa Bay Rays, and the San Francisco Giants. Now tonight, Friday night, the Reds and the Phillies, to me, are kind of a big game. A game the Reds have to win as they are a few games back of the Milwaukee Brewers, and if they want to keep up, they have to win this game. But Zach Wheeler is expected to start, who's, you know, in contention for the NL Cy Young. They just beat the Dodgers last night, Bryce Harper with a big home run. That, to me, is the matchup uh, to watch there. And then this weekend, both Saturday and Sunday, we get a rematch of those Field of Dreams games Uh, This time, it'll be taking place in Chicago's home stadium. But the Yankees and White Sox for a few games. That wraps up the sports talk. One note, Madden 22 is coming out soon. For all my gamer fans, I just played a little bit of a trial. So far, from what I, I played, the just half hour of the intro... Game where I was, you know, had to be the Bucks, and then I beat the Chiefs in a close game. It looks really fun. The next-gen stats on the Xbox Series X is great. Love it so far. I'm interested in wanting to play 
more of the game and explore out some of the new features and modes. Now, this is Friday the 13th. So in honor of that, and what that entails, is horror movies. And there are so many good horror movies out there. There really are. There's, I can name dozens of them that I enjoy watching, but I'm just going to give you my top five horror movies just because it is Friday the 13th. Number five, It. It is a great movie, especially the new one, Bill Skarsgård, as Pennywise is frightening the whole young cast as well, I think, is great in that movie. It's funny, humorous, but also is dark. At the same time, it has a really good balance and is a movie that I enjoy watching. Number four, The Silence of the Lambs, an all-time classic, Buffalo Bill, Hannibal Lecter, Clarice, one, you know, swept basically of the Oscars at that time, winning the top five for Best Actress, uh, Best Actor, uh, Best Picture, Director, Screenplay. I mean, this took it up, and it really is so good, so thrilling, so suspenseful, and is an all-time great classic movie. Number three, Get Out. Cemented. Jordan Peele is a great director in his kind of directorial debut for a horror film. Was great. Daniel Kaluuya was great as well. The Sunken Place. I mean, just the themes of that movie and the way it worked with the cast and some of the Easter eggs going back and not leaving a trail uh, to get caught. I mean, there is so much depth to that film. Number two. Another classic, and that is Alien, directed by Ridley Scott, Sigourney Weaver, the first kind of kick-ass, badass chick that kind of cemented her and her place of sci-fi glory and sci-fi fame, uh, this horrifying, terrifying alien that stalks down, hunts the crew, but Sigourney Weaver is Ellen Ripley, survives, and then the sequel as well, Aliens, you could put in there as well, at number two, another classic there, uh, this time by James Cameron, Sigourney Weaver returning a great horror film. Number one, though, is Us, the follow-up to Jordan Peele's great film, Get Out, his second one, he has cemented himself, is already a great horror film director, And that was the case with us. The great twist ending as well thrown in there. Uh, Totally fictional, but at the same time, edge of your seat, home invasion, what's going to happen, what's going on. And then, as I said, the twist, again, the imagery, the themes that go on with this film has really cemented Jordan Peele. So those are my top five horror films even though there are many more I can name and have on this list as well. But right now, I just have to give you those five. It of the Silence of the Lambs, Get Out, Alien, 
and us. Happy Friday the 13th, everybody. Hope you all have a great weekend. Talk to you soon. Bye.